0: Uh, Our last reading is Luke 1, uh, 46-55, Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, the role of Mary, Jesus' mother, has often been one that is misunderstood by the church. And many in the, the Roman Catholic Church have, have elevated Mary to the status of near divinity. She's considered by many as the only person other than Jesus himself to be without sin. And along with Jesus, Mary is called the co-redemptrisks. And millions of Catholics regularly pray to Mary, making pilgrimages to her shrines in her honor. And they really give her a level of devotion deserved only by God himself. And perhaps in reaction to these abuses, the Protestant church has, for the most part, ignored Mary and failed to appreciate and learn from her virtues. And sadly, the study of this amazing woman of God has largely been neglected by the evangelical church. And this passage that we're looking at this evening, famously known as the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin Vulgate, the first word of the, the, the uh, Vulgate, this Magnificat has largely been devalued by evangelicals. According to a 2018 survey of self-described evangelicals that was done by the Washington Post, they said 28% of evangelicals never even heard of the Magnificat. Another 43% said their church has never once read it or discussed it. 23% said they've encountered it a few times And only 8% said that they regularly read through the Magnificat. And this is sad, really. This is sad because not only is this God's word, God's breathed scripture, which is profitable for us, but it's also because this young Jewish girl, Mary, provides for us a great example for what it looks like to be a believer, what it looks like to be a mighty woman of God. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at these qualities in Mary that make her an example for us. And the first thing we see about Mary from the Magnificat is that she knew she needed a Savior. We see this in the, in the very first two verses of this passage. Verses 46 and 47 It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, Scripture clearly contradicts the teaching that Mary was somehow sinless and, and uh, she was on equal footing with Jesus. Mary was a fallen sinner, just like everyone else, and she too needed a Savior. The truth is every single person who has ever lived, other than the baby that was in Mary's womb, is a sinner and needs a Savior. And this is not what makes Mary a great example for us as a woman of faith. What makes Mary a great example for us is that Mary recognizes her need for a Savior. And this is really the biggest obstacle that anyone faces to coming to Christ. And that is, they don't think they need a Savior. They think they're okay on their own. They, they believe that God is happy with them. And the really thing is, they don't understand God's awesome holiness. They don't understand the depth of their own depravity. And their self-perception and their perception of God's standard are woefully out of touch with reality. The evangelism explosion diagnostic questions, which many of you have heard, and I frequently use whenever we would have a visitor come to the church or someone call and asking from, for help from the, from the church. And these questions, the first question says, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? And you know, most people I ask this question to, they really don't know. Most of them respond like this. They say, I hope I would go, but I'm not really sure. And the second question asks, again, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he asks you, what right do you have for me to let you into my heaven? What would you say? And you know, the number one answer that people give to this question, and I've heard it many times, is, well, I've tried to live a good life. That's their answer. I've tried to live a good life. I hope I would go. I think my good deeds have outweighed my bad deeds. And the problem is, even according to that stand, they really have not tried to live a good life. In fact, they don't even really know how to describe good. What is the definition of good? See, good is not according to our definition. Good is according to God's definition. And according to God's definition, good is perfect, perpetual obedience to God's law in thought, word, and deed. And not only that, it's motivated, not by personal gain, But it's motivated solely because God is worthy of this obedience. And not one of us, not one of us ever meets the standard. We are all lost. We are all without hope. And we need a Savior. And Mary knew. Mary knew that she needed a Savior. And in this, Mary is an example for us. But simply knowing this, that we fail to meet God's standard, this is not enough. Simply knowing this would really only lead us to despair. And this is a problem that was experienced by the the well-known German monk and reformer, Martin Luther. See, Martin Luther was intense. He was the best monk ever. He worked the hardest. He prayed the most. He was diligent in every single thing that he did. He always was going at 100%. And others thought, because of Luther's intense devotion to his calling, that he must have really loved God. But Luther replied to this, Love God? Sometimes I hate him. Sometimes Christ seems to me nothing more than an angry judge who comes to me with a sword in his hand to the gallows with Moses. See, the reason he hated God is Luther knew that no matter how hard he worked, no matter how much he prayed, no matter how many hours he spent in the confessional, and he did, he spent so much that his priest actually said, go away and come back when you actually have sinned a real sin. And Luther knew no matter how great a monk he was, he could still never meet God's standard. And Luther understood the perfection of God. Luther understood the holiness of God. And he knew that there was no way that he could measure up. He knew that God would be perfectly right, perfectly just to cast him into hell. And there was absolutely nothing that he could do about it. And this knowledge drove Luther to the brink of insanity. See, Luther knew the holiness of God. He had an accurate understanding of himself. He had an accurate understanding of his own inability to meet God's standard. And Luther completely understood his situation. The problem was that Luther at this time did not have an answer. He had no idea how to change this situation that he had. And this led him to the brink of insanity. But Mary knows. Mary knows not only that she needs a Savior... But Mary also knows exactly who this Savior is. And it was the baby in her womb. This is the whole reason why Mary sings the song. Mary knew what Luther only discovered later. And Luther, while he was reading the book of Romans, his eyes were open. The Holy Spirit revealed to him something that he had never seen before. And this insight, this insight eternally changed Luther and uncovered the biblical gospel message that had long been obscured by the medieval church. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and, 7, and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is ri- written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Luther discovered and what Mary already understood was the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Luther got it all wrong. Most of the church got it wrong. But Mary understood. The gospel is not something that we do. The gospel is not us trying to reach up to God. It's not something we do to clean ourselves up and make ourselves presentable to God. And this is why Luther was driven to insanity. What he desperately needed was impossible for him to do. He needed a Savior. And this Savior was Jesus Christ. And this Mary knew. And this brings us to the second way Mary is an example for us as a a woman of faith. See, first she knew her need for a Savior. She knew where to find that Savior, who that Savior was. And second we see, the second way she's an example, is we see the great joy, the gratitude that she displays on finding that Savior. Again, in verses 46 and 47, Mary sings that my soul magnifies the Lord, that her spirit rejoices in God her Savior which is also her son, Jesus. Well, what Mary shows us is that the natural reaction a soul has to a saving encounter with Jesus Christ. And a natural reaction is great joy. It's a great sense of privilege. It's a great sense of gratitude we experience when we realize that we deserve condemnation. We deserve rejection. We deserve eternal death. But in Christ, Christ we are given love. In Christ we are given forgiveness. We are given acceptance. We are given eternal life. And we are given sonship. My friend, this is our natural reaction to the good news of the gospel. We cannot contain ourselves. We cannot contain the joy that we have when we grasp the gospel. And that's why Mary breaks out into song. She cannot contain her joy. It must come out. It must come out in praise of God. Praise of God for his grace, for his mercy for his totally undeserved goodness shown to this young girl and shown to each one of us who has been made a new creation in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, all for the glory of God alone. And Mary knows, Mary knows that generations will call her blessed. And she is blessed. For she has the amazing honor, an amazing honor was given to her to be the mother of her Lord, the mother of our Lord. But the truth is, this blessing pales in comparison to the even greater blessing that Mary has been given. And that is eternal life. That is being a child of God. That is being a new creation in Christ, redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest blessing of all. This is the greatest blessing any of us could have. In fact, if this is all that we had, this would be enough. There would be no need for anything else. All we need is this. But this is not all that Mary's given. This is not all that we are given. Mary is given a unique call. She is the only person ever to live who is given this unique calling. She is called to be the mother of the Lord. She is the human vessel through whom the Savior comes into the world. This is Mary's calling. But Mary is not alone in having a unique calling calling given by God, by which she served and glorified God. The truth is, is every single believer, every single child of God is given a unique calling, a unique way by which we can serve the Lord, by which we can glorify the Lord. It is perfectly fitted to us. We are like a, a puzzle, and we are a piece that fits in that one spot. Think of a, of a billion-piece puzzle. We are that one unique piece that fits in that spot. And this is a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful picture that the Lord is creating. And in this, we can rejoice. In this, our unique calling, we can praise God. And we can all, each one of us can sing, my soul magnifies the Lord for the great things he has done through me in the calling that he has given to me, the calling that he has given to all of us, both as a church and in as individuals, what he is doing in the world and what he's doing in our individual lives. And Mary shows us that joy and gratitude to God is the natural state of the Christian. And Mary is a model of joy and gratitude that we all should display. We all should be singing just like Mary sings. So that's the second trait. The third trait that Mary models for us in the Magnificat is humility. Humility. So humility is actually the, the, the big picture theme of the entire Magnificat. We see God lifting up the humble. We see the hum, God humbling the proud. And we see it throughout the song. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 52, he has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. See, another natural reaction to a saving encounter with Christ is humility. See, God opens our eyes to his glory. He opens our eyes to his grandeur. And when our eyes are focused on God, when we see the beautiful one, the magnificent one, we can then see just how small and how insignificant we are, how small and insignificant even the most mighty of this world are. And we see how small and truly insignificant we are. But you know what? When we do this, when we look at Christ, we don't care. We don't care. As a matter of fact, we welcome, we're fine to see how insignificant we are. Because the smaller we are, the higher it raises him up. In fact, when we're in God's presence, we want to lower ourselves. We want to humble ourselves. We want to cry out like John the Baptist. He must increase. I must must decrease. This is the natural reaction of the Christian we do not humble ourselves out of fear. We do not humble ourselves out of terror, but we humble ourselves out of reverence. Reverence for the living God. And here's the the irony. This humility, this making ourselves low in his presence, this doesn't make us feel insecure. This doesn't make us feel insignificant. Rather, the opposite happens. When, when When we see ourselves how we really are, but we see him, how great he is, and we know that we belong to him, and our security, our trust is in him, that gives us even more security. That gives us even more significance, as we saw this morning. See, in Christ, we have ultimate and eternal significance. And We find that in Christ, really, the way up is the way down. The infallible word of God promises that those who humble themselves before the Lord, he The Lord will lift us up. He will lift us up with his mighty hand. And Mary knew this reality. Her humble life and her song is an illustration of this reality. The humility of Mary's proclamation, the Magnificat, is a testimony of her spiritual maturity. And you see, another reality of the Christian life is that as we grow in grace, as we grow in our knowledge and and experience of the things of God, as our, as our walking with the Lord grows from, from years to decades, an interesting thing happens to us. Even though we truly grow in knowledge and holiness and spiritual wisdom, that is true, we also grow in humility. So as we know God better and we know ourselves better, and this knowledge is the knowledge not of our greatness, but rather of our fallenness and of our failings, so as we walk with our Lord, our perception of his awesome greatness will continue to increase. And our perception of the greatness of ourselves apart from Christ will continue to decrease. And again, we are okay with this. We are, we are glad to this. And Mary is a model, an example of a humble believer making little of herself, but making much of her Lord. The last insight we glean from the Magnificat is what we see is continuity. Continuity of believers. See, all believers are connected. And we see this continuity from Mary to the saints long before her, all the way to the saints of today, as well into the future, if the Lord carries. And we see this in verse 55, where he says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, this God, this Savior that was in Mary's womb, Mary's Savior, this is the Savior. He is the Savior all the way back to Adam, and to Eve, and to Abel, and to Seth, and to Noah, and to Abraham, and to Moses, and to David. He is the Savior of all of God's people, of all of his offspring, throughout time and into the future, forever. And Mary's specific mentioning here of Abraham is significant. It's significant because Abraham shows us, uh, in Abraham, God has revealed the instrument. The instrument by which he imparts this grace. To fall in humanity, how you fall in humanity can become the offspring of God, and this instrument by which God imparts it is the only way, really, for this, these, this covenant promises to apply to us. It's the only way for His sal- salvific grace to flow into us, and it was the same way that it flowed into Abel and to Seth and to Noah and to A- Abraham and to Moses and to David and to Mary and to all the saints throughout history. And it's the only way that it can flow to us. And this instrument was revealed to Abraham by God in Genesis 15, 6, where God says, And Abraham believed the Lord. He had faith. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And that's the instrument. It is faith. Faith alone. See, we go from being enemies of God under his just wrath to becoming his beloved children of God by grace alone. A grace that is received. That, it, that means it is made ours by Faith alone. And it's not faith in anything in particular. It's not faith in faith. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And not a Christ of our imaginations. Not a Christ of the New Age movement. Not a Christ of of Islam who says he is a prophet less less than uh, Muhammad. Not a Christ of Mormonism who says that Christ is the brother of Lucifer. Not the Christ of liberal Christianity. that says Christ was just a good human teacher but was only a man. He didn't do miracles. He wasn't born of a virgin. He didn't rise from the dead. None of these Christs can save us. The only Christ that can save us is Jesus Christ, the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the mighty God who died as a propitiation for our sins, as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. The Christ as he is presented in the Holy Scripture alone. And the Christ who can save is the baby who was born in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who sang the Magnificat, who grew to be a man, who lived a perfectly sinless life, who died to atone for the sins of his people, and on the third day rose from the grave to confirm that his sacrifice was accepted by God. And who at this very moment, at this very moment, sits at the right hand of of God the Father in glory, and one day, and it could be today, and I pray that it is soon, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is our joy. This is our Savior. This is Mary's Savior and her Son. He is the one in whom she believed. He is the one in whom we believe. He was her joy. He is our joy. He is the one who brought joyful humility to Mary. And he brings joyful humility to us. My friends, the Virgin Mary is not one to be worshipped. She is not one to be adored. Her faith is an example. Her faith is an inspiration for us to follow as she bows down and points to the one to whom we are to worship, the one to whom we are to adore the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let me pray. Father, would you thank you for the example of the Virgin Mary, of a a woman who loved you, of a woman who knew of her need for a Savior and knew that she was given the blessing to be the mother of that Savior, and one who trusted, one who was humble, and one who knew by faith, that that is how she applied the salvation to herself. Lord, I pray. I pray, Father, that you will give each one of us that same faith, that same humility that we see in the Virgin Mary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.